No, it's the Creator Spaces show. So it seems like you're spending a lot of time on Clubhouse, and you've put together pretty much every social audio tool out there for working with Clubhouse. I'm really interested to get your take on... Are these tools developing around the platform or are they developing for a future ecosystem? That's a good question. I think most of the tools that I've seen so far around scheduling, analytics, and then the kind of just the more fun ones, the profile images, all those sort of things, they seem to be quite clubhouse specific from what I've seen. And a lot of them seem to be branded or tied to the feature set of Clubhouse. I'd also say that I think a lot of people, when they use social audio for the first time, especially Clubhouse, you go through a couple of phases that I suppose it follows that kind of Gartner hype cycle where uh, you start off, you get really excited. And a lot of people seem to go through this phase where they're a little bit addicted. They find something very visceral and exciting about being able to socialize virtually, which is probably the best proxy to doing it in person this way. But I would actually say nowadays, I tend to use it a lot more sporadically. I'm still very much following what's going on. I think I was a little bit late to Clubhouse. It started back towards the beginning of Q1 in 2020. Yeah. So yeah, I'm quite interested in the the Twitter space wave at the moment. (laughs) I've noticed that even though beta users are the only ones who can start spaces, it's relatively easy for people to find them if they know where to look. And I did have a tweet. Actually, this is one I should have shared with you. But basically, if you just search for the URL of Twitter Spaces, like the first slug or whatever, it will just give you search results, which if you then filter by latest, you'll see all the ongoing spaces happening at the moment. So even if people don't see it in their fleets, they'll still be able to see what people are sharing on their timelines. Yeah. It's a little kind of a little hack. No, I like it. I noticed that you also tagged an account that's also retweeting every space that started as well. Yeah, so that's actually a really interesting thing that I see happening right now. There's very little spaces curation at this point. And I know that's one of my to-dos today is setting up a new account that's just putting together all of the tech and business spaces and retweeting them as they go live. Because that's all Spaces Radar does, except it's run by somebody and he's actually curating the rooms. So he jumped into the room yesterday or Monday and listened for maybe 10 minutes before approving it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a very good idea. Definitely curation discovery is a problem that Clubhouse has as well, Uh, even though it's... I think Clubhouse is purposefully against any sort of mass discovery because they want more of the TikTok style feed. At least that's what I've gathered. The generally accepted advice is you need to curate your following there in order to see things that are more relevant to your interests and tastes. Mm-hmm. Twitter has the advantage that you're already following all those people anyway. So you don't need to start digging around and searching on a platform and trying to find all those people that are actually active on it as well. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting. Let's see how they'll tackle this. And it's definitely something they're very aware of, that their curation discovery is something that still needs to really have a lot of work done to it to really make it work for people. One interesting idea I heard, future of tech type speaker called Jeremiah, I forget his second name, but he's got a couple of bold predictions about social audio. And one of them that 
there's going to be a lot of analytics around speech so that people can basically go to an app and say, hey, I'm feeling a little bit mellow. I want a mellow room or this is my mood. I want to jump into a room like this. And they'll be able to analyze the speech and find signals from voice. So the voice analysis is going to get a lot better. So that'll be interesting to see if they introduce things like that. I mean, the technology is there. You already see it in call center. AI Mm. coaching technology is entirely built around sentiment analysis. That's the term I was looking for, sentiment analysis. Thank you. I'm curious about one of the other tweets that you sent over ahead of time for conversion.ai. Yeah. Are you using them? I am, yes. I've been quite impressed by conversion.ai is the one I've played around with the most. It seems to have the most hype around it. It's got a relatively active user base at the moment. And they've been quite clever around the way that they've managed to engage with their user base so far. And so they've had things like competitions for authors to publish books on Amazon that are supposedly 80% written by their artificial intelligence. I have not used conversion, but I have used copy and copy smith. And yes. Copy has been the really popular one from the people I've seen. And then I'm in the CopySmith community because I bought mm-hmm. an AppSumo deal for them. But conversion's the one I yeah. haven't tried because they were the only one with a pay trial. And I figured there were 10 others on GPT-3. So you do think they're better? Personally, I can't really definitively say yes. It is much better because I haven't gone through the full comparison as of yet. But it's usable um, copy. Yeah, no, it's the results uh, you get from it are pretty decent. In fact, actually, before the call, just for fun, I plugged in call for content into their ADA framework, which is the attention, interest, desire, and action framework. Yeah. Plugged in a little uh, product description from your website, and it came with, to be honest, I don't think this is anywhere near as good as your copy, but it's somewhat possible. I found better results with other examples I used, but it came out with, We're an agency that helps businesses grow through authority marketing, podcast monetization, and audience growth. Our team has been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, Entrepreneur Magazine, and more. We have a proven track record of helping companies get results online. If you want to learn how we can help your business grow through authority marketing and content creation, then click this link now. So that was the aid of framework. Yeah, that's pretty close. I don't think I've been in Forbes, but (laughs) other than that, that's solid. How are you using this sort of AI copy? I'm really curious, especially around podcasting, because at least for me, I see a ton of opportunity around using this sort of stuff to summarize, create our show notes, and then help create more promotional content around it because podcast discovery is only slightly better than spaces and clubhouse discovery right now. Yeah. At the moment, I'm mostly experimenting with it. But say, I'll just give you a couple examples Taking existing blog posts that I've written, I usually leave writing to the copywriters, but if I have a blog post, I'll be able to iterate it. I'll take a paragraph and throw it into the sentence expander or take the post title. They have a template that allows you to generate an outline as well for an article. So there are lots of different ways you can play around with it. I would say it's really good for just iterating through things and making and improving them. So I don't see it as a tool that like completely replaces the need for a copywriter. And I think having a human there who actually knows how to use it and get the best results out of it is still really important. But I can see it becoming such a useful part of the toolkit, both for copywriters and then just for people who can't get a copywriter or their copywriting skills aren't totally up to par like me. They can use something like this to really improve what they're working on. 
So we work both sides of the podcast, guest host market, and also place guests on shows. Mm -hmm. We have found that generally the sweet spot for lead generation is around 1,000 to 2,000 listeners. And that's because that's when we can get the niche, dedicated, engaged followings on the shows, especially in B2B. Yeah. How are we going to find audio? I don't think I have a very good answer to that question. I think that it is the most valuable question. I know just about every consulting contract I've worked on a podcast. And I say I specify consulting because it means they have enough to hire somebody to consult on their show or their (laughs) network. Every single one of them is around growth and monetization, one, the other, or both. And Twitter with super followers, I could see that being the answer. Yeah. I might also place a bet on Spotify when it comes to discovery shows that are similar to the ones that you're listening to. They already do such a good job with discovery when it comes to music. Yeah, I have recommended shows on my Spotify. I have never listened to one. So maybe I'm just not the market for that. (laughs) (laughs) Have you tried out Spotify ads yet? I have not, no. Not Spotify ads. So I understand they just released them for podcasts in the past week or two. And I know when this show launches on Spotify, we're going to be buying some ads. Interesting. I want to ask you a little bit about this tweet that you had sent me from Harry Borton over at Lower Street. Yes. So a third of Americans listen to podcasts every month. Focusing on how you're different within podcasting. I've been a long-term proponent with my quantity over quality method of podcasting to focus on the 25 to 45 minute interview show. But now as I'm going off on my own, as I'm starting to experiment with live shows, I'm loving the idea of a daily. And I want to switch and tell everyone you should be making a daily show for SEO (laughs) and for Twitter. If I wasn't selling Call for Content right now, I would look at moving and opening a daily podcasting agency like that. But I'm interested to find out your take on that sort of frequency and variety of show formats that we're maybe not seeing yet. And in terms of variety of show formats, what would you be referring to? Um, Length, remix shows, fiction versus nonfiction, I think is starting to happen. But like the show I'm going to deliver to my audience is going to be very different than the conversations that we have live. Because I've got a tool like Descript recording almost five hours of content every week. That's just too much for me to expect a listener to want to listen to. Yeah. At the same time, if you have more content, isn't that also a good thing as well in the fact that your listeners have that choice? Like if you're only doing one interview a week, but that interviewer doesn't happen to be someone that they're interested in, they've got four other options if you're doing a daily show, say, for example. Yeah. If you're on a mailing list for a podcast as well that happens to be daily, what I've seen work quite well is where they have a weekly digest. And that's actually what I'm setting up in review, which is one of the reasons I've asked for tweets. So that way I can integrate the tweets with clips from the show, yeah. the newsletter. Yeah, I can see that working well. Having just those highlighted clips, you export them from Descript. I guess you're embedding them in review as well somehow. Yeah, I'll probably post them as tweets. Going back to the context of the tweet that Harry Morton had, basically it was around podcast agencies selling the medium and not the service and basically saying, oh, podcasting is the big thing and so forth. Did you know that 104 million Americans listen to podcasts every month? And his point is that, oh, if a potential buyer has found you, chances are they already know they want a show. Focus on what your difference instead. So 
I'd be curious, like, I'm on two minds about this because I often find that it depends on what kind of buyers you're attracting. Some of them do need education. Some of them may have a somewhat antiquated concept of podcasting or it's very skewed by what they see in the top 100. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, what your take is on that. When people come to you, do you find it's more the fact that they need a lot of education or is, no, you just cut to the chase? So we've done a lot more inbound than some mm-hmm. other agencies, I think. And we've invested more heavily in things like SEO and PR for ourselves and brand building. And so I definitely do get a much wider variety of leads and calls getting booked than other agencies, I think. And we do both the podcast production and the podcast guesting, which is just another level of differentiation from other agencies. That's why I call us the full service podcasting agency, because that has been a differentiator. And I think really for us, that's what it's come down to is I'm a B2B growth strategist who ended up running a podcasting agency. We come from a B2B content background. We are going to make sure your show is profitable for you if you listen to us. And unless you are coming to us with a big budget of ad spend, we're not going to try to grow your audience. And that's our differentiation. It sets us apart, I think, from everyone else pretty quickly. Even now, as I carved out the agency services side of the business to sell, and it's all packaged up as this is the digital side of the business, it inbounds digital leads, it's designed for purely digital sales, and this is how much the digital side made, it was less than 30% of the total business's revenue each year. And the rest came from consulting. So a question I have around productized services is having looked at other sort of agencies in a similar space, there usually gets to be like ceiling of how many clients you can take on. And usually it doesn't go over the double figures, essentially, unless you have those real sort of outlier cases, maybe a design pickle or a GoDaddy that gets bought over. As you look for an acquire to scale, is it more just the question of you are the person to take it from zero to one and you're not interested in taking it from one to 100x? You're looking for someone else who is interested in having one of these big buyouts or going for this crazy amount of scale that some outliers actually managed to achieve? I don't think this is really going to reach that sort of scale. Call for Content plus Podcast 360 running at full steam, I think would probably cap out in the three to five million range because Podcast 360, that low cost productized unlimited podcasting services, that is really attractive to bringing clients in who have existing shows. It eats at VAs who are running shows. We never really got it set up for launching new shows. But we saw an opportunity for that. We really just used it as a way to bring in new clients, though. And then it would be in the upsell is where you could really make our profit margin. I've got a few SaaS ideas that I'm looking at, and I'll probably move on some of those. But right now I've got podcast score up, podcast valuation calculator. And then I'm going to be launching a marketplace for buying and selling shows in the next uh, couple weeks as well. 